0: Welcome to BioInnovator Spotlight at LifeScience.org, where we listen to the life science leaders of tomorrow tell their story and discuss their challenges as founders and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, scientist turned communicator, Dr. David Kirk. Let's meet today's founder. I'm joined this week by Jack Reed and Adam Glenn, co-founders of Unicorn Biotechnologies. Unicorn is based in Sheffield in the UK and enabling the mass production of cell manufacture with their fully automated platform. Jack, Adam, thank you for joining me.
1: Yeah, cheers. Thanks for having us.
0: Jack, I'll start with you. Please tell me a little bit about your background and how you got interested in life science.
1: Yeah, So maybe I can go front to back. So for anyone listening out there, you're hearing this very strange accent uh, coming into your ears. (laughs) I uh, yeah, I'm I'm an American. So started off life in the US uh, professionally, started off as a chemist, uh, worked in polymer manufacturing and industry, and then uh, slowly moved into protein, biochemistry, and cell culture manufacturing. Um, loved the work, didn't really like being a tiny cog in a big machine. So I, you know, moved over to Europe to explore an academic career, uh, ended up in the UK when I realized that, yeah, I really liked working in startups. And it's a, it's a great vehicle to make change and make a real product. That can improve uh, a human beings' lives and you know, kind of cheesily try and change the world. Uh, so I went to a startup accelerator in London in 2020 called Entrepreneur First, uh, and that is where I met Adam, and we
2: started Unicorn.
0: Wonderful. And Adam, tell me a bit about your background.
2: Um, okay, yeah, so a bit more, a bit more lengthy than than Jack's in terms of just <laughs> timing because I'm older. Um, but yeah, I sort of have had experiences that span R&D roles, commercial roles across academia, large industries, startups, and some consultancy. Uh, I started off life in academia with a PhD, well, not exactly life, but PhD in prostate cancer biochemistry. and uh, then moved into a large industrial company, G Healthcare as an R&D scientist. Mm-hmm. I was a tiny cog in a giant machine, got a little bit frustrated about the pace of innovation, um, so I did what most people in industry don't do, is I went back into academia. I did a couple of postdocs. There were positions, there were stem cells, um, tissue engineering, device engineering, and things like that. Um, grew a little bit frustrated with the lack of impact in academia. So then I switched to working in start-up biotech companies. I uh, worked for an imaging company and another device company just uh, around Oxford, uh, and then decided to do the mad thing of trying to build our own company. I'd sort of been building up to it over a number of years, but I met Jack, an entrepreneur, first, and yeah, and we we both had a shared passion in biotech. So uh, here we are. Yeah, tell me
0: about how you met an entrepreneur first. I'd love to hear that journey, like to <laughs> to join them and and meet up there. <laughs>
2: You can, you can tell it,
1: Jack. <laughs> oh, man. No, no, this is a good one. So, uh, li- like Adam and I mentioned, uh, independently, we each decided, you know, we we're at the point in our lives and careers where we wanted to start a company. Mm-hmm. Um, for those not familiar, entrepreneur first, uh, they kind of build themselves as a Y Combinator of the UK. So, it's an accelerator where an individual goes with the goal of meeting uh, a co-founder or a business partner who's got complementary skills and what you like as a person. Uh, so Adam and I both went to EF. Uh, there were about eighty people on the cohort we were on. Incidentally enough, Adam and I each spoke to all seventy-eight other people on our cohort. Uh, you know, I think we. You know, I looked at his profile and he looked at mine at the beginning, and we were like, oh, damn, I "Don't want to work with that guy." Um, but <laughs> yeah, no. Um, a Slack chatbot of all things. You know, at the end of the first two weeks, said Adam and Jack. You're the only two people that haven't spoken on this cohort yet. You should really, you know, talk. And yeah, believe it or not, a single Slack chatbot is, uh, you know, what the spark that lit the fire that became this.
2: <laughs> I love yeah, that. Maybe, maybe I can interject a little bit. But um, yeah, me, I, I, there's certain rule. Well, certain people talk about how you should find a co-founder and all these kind of things, but I, I, I don't know. I think we still do. I um, we got on as people, um, yeah. And you've got to end up liking the people you work with to some extent. Um, because otherwise, you know, what's the stat like? 90% of stock companies fail, and there's like 80% yeah. of that is because the, founding, the founders fall out with each other. Um, obviously, we have our disagreements, but yeah, yeah. We're, we're adult enough to talk about them like adults. Whereas a lot yeah. of other people, I think, there's a lot of friction between yeah. founding members.
0: That is an interesting challenge, I think, for the co founder model. And I think, are you, how, how are you splitting the responsibilities in the company, may I ask? Ooh.
1: Yeah, no, great, fair, fair question. Uh, it's totally a moving target. Like, you know, may, Adam, maybe feel free to agree or disagree, but, you know, when we started out, the challenges we faced were very different than the ones we're facing right now. So we went mm-hmm. from, you know, two guys that met on a Slack chat bot over Zoom to currently we're based up in Sheffield. We've got our own labs and engineering workshops, a team of 10 really brilliant people uh, helping to build out our IP and our product. So just the problems that we need to solve are constantly changing. So if you asked us, you know, maybe at the beginning, it was more on, you know, ideation versus, you know, going out and doing execution. Now we could break it down on right technical management, commercial management. Uh, the answer is probably going to be different in six months as well.
2: Yeah, to sort of riff off that, um, yeah, it's it's been, I mean, I've got more of an R&D background, so now the part of it, I was very heavy on R&D, at least initially. And then I've moved into sort of things like I write grants for the company or and then Jack's prioritized commercial leads. And then we've both gone out and done commercial leads. So it is very fluid and depends. One of the mantras we kind of have is whenever we try to take a shortcut, it usually doesn't work and we have to do the thing feel the pain Mm -hmm. and then hire somebody that's more competent than us to do the thing (laughs) so we basically have worn all hats at some point between us in in almost every role in the company
0: yeah that's i think a common story for all founders whether they're with co-founders or not the startup life is a a life of many hat wearings and it's it's great to see that you can you still share that uh between each other and kind of getting a taste of everything it's uh, it's nice to see that's um, part of the fun <laughs> let's talk a little more about unicorn um because i i mean looking at what you guys do uh automating and enabling mass production of uh, cell manufacture there's a huge variety of applications there in research and development and not limited to cell therapy but that's the first thing that kind of comes to my mind uh the cultivated meat space as well in terms of like uh R and D for product development in that sector. So you've got health, you've got food. There's so many, so many applications there. Um, What are the, I think when you guys came up with the idea for, for unicorn itself, what were the major unmet challenges that were top of mind for you that you're trying to address?
2: Um, Maybe I'll start and then pass the Jack. So um, in all honesty, First, unmet need was my own frustration. <laughs> uh, I've spent far too long in tissue culture labs, mm. petting liquid between containers. And that means that a huge number of other people are doing the same. So it was an own personal sort of pet peeve of mine. But, but as you mentioned, it then evolves into, well, you know, cells are at the bottom of the, well, uh, of something, and then there's lots of layers on top of that. And you go, well, mm-hmm. if we solve this problem, we enable this, and we enable this, and we enable this. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we have to sort of, as a business, target a couple of those segments rather than all of them simultaneously. But the plan is to do a couple and keep expanding because there's, there's a lot, like you say, there's R&D applications, there's cell therapy applications, there's lots of different uh, enable uh using building this kind of technology enables a lot of other people to further their mm. uh, technologies. So maybe I'll pass to Jack and see what he says. Yeah, No, no, that's pretty bang
1: on. I mean, I'll, I'll riff on Adam now and say like the, my, coming from like a chemical engineering background, like the first time I went into a cell culture lab, you know, excited. It was, you know, the full grade, we were downed up. Everyone was getting ready to go into, you know, the, the high-tech cell culture facilities for cell manufacture. And it was a bunch of scientists with the light dimmed in their eyes, moving liquid from one container to another. And I kind of, I was like, this is a joke. Like, you guys guys are pulling my leg, right? And they were like, no, no, like, this is it. This is the gold standard. Um, So, yeah, for, for anyone out there who's not quite familiar with, you know, this problem, all the industries, Adam and David, you mentioned. So, like, cell therapy, drug discovery, cultivated meat, rely on the production or the manufacture of living cells uh, generally it can be something called a stem cell there are no machines to automate this production uh, every machine that's on the market is it's been repurposed from a different application and generally and i'm cribbing this line from adam so apologies adam uh, when you try and cram a new type of biology into an existing machine it doesn't work and so and the natural solution which ourselves and a few other innovators are looking at right now is how can we build new types of machine to automate industrialize and scale up the production of these new types of cells to open up these new markets so yeah i i personally i can't believe that uh it's taken this long as a species to get to this point i feel incredibly bad for Adam and generations of biologists that have had to do this by hand. And yeah, that's that's kind of us awesome in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, because liquid handling has always been like the last 10 years, especially. But we saw a huge amount of it during covid. It's become very uh, popular in research. Um, I was astounded and also <laughs> I was very shocked when some uh, somebody in the automation industry once told me that biology is just moving liquid from one pot to another. <laughs> but when we're talking about tissue culture, you've got confluence at the bottom of of plates. Mm-hmm. Is that does that present an additional challenge uh, in terms of liquid handling?
1: Yes, yeah, so may, maybe. Uh, I, I can start here and pass it over to Adam. So, like, you hit the nail on the head, David. Like for for cult, for cell manufacture, and we'll define that as trying to grow a lot of living cells. It could mm-hmm. be a stem cell or is there differentiated progeny? Yeah, you do have specific uh, challenges for this application, like determining if you're growing cells on a flat surface, or you mentioned a plate or a flask, you need to determine confluency. So for those out there not familiar, that's when all the cells uh, expand and they take up all the available surface area. Mm -hmm. So they need to be put into a bigger vessel so they can keep growing. Yeah, solving that is And without getting too into the weeds, you can't really use legacy liquid handling systems, which are like the petting robots to identify when it's confluent or actually perform the motions of fluid transfer. So yeah, a lot of our technical work has been on just that, developing new sensing systems, developing novel approaches to fluid management, uh, and then integrating all of that into a single instrument. Uh, A lot of, and I I apologize, a bit of a ramble, Um, but yeah, a lot of folks in the last five or 10 years that have tried to solve this problem, generally gone down the approach of having multiple instruments with something like a robotic arm to move parts from instrument to instrument aid, Mm -hmm. instrument C. It works, but it's not really a manufacturing solution. You have lots of points for failure. You have an expensive Set up, uh, and ultimately, you're not know, really solving the problem you want, which is to make it repeatable, you know, reliable, and dead easy, and cheapest chips to do.
2: Yeah,
0: it's weird uh, I, "cheapest yeah. chips" in that accent.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jack. Jack.
2: <laughs> Jack's picked up all the colloquialisms here. Yeah, um, we were in Brighton the other day for a conference, and uh, we, we we're amusing each he doesn't know what rock is. It's a, t- it's like a candy cane. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> there was a lot of amusement. He, we, some people on the tube spoke to us about it as he was trying it. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, but anyway, that's a different story. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I agree. I agree with Jack. What, what Jack said basically is similar philosophy, reproducibility, reliability. Yeah. You need all of those things, the process, When we look at the process, we try to take out components, so we don't go for the robot arms. It makes the engineering more complicated. It makes it more expensive. Um, We want to keep the capex low on this device so that we can sell lots of them and then use them as a copy-and-paste manufacture method. Um, It's kind of in contrast to the scale-up people, Um, so their, their approach is... Um, you get a larger and larger tank the, yeah. with different stirrers. The problem here is, and it's kind of, if you uh, to go back and what Jack said, what I will say is if you try and force the biology, you can't always force the biology into these systems. They work really well for hex and chows, in my opinion. Other cell types, maybe less so. There might be ways around it. You can use carriers and various other things, but they come with their own problems as well. Mm-hmm. So our philosophy, is somewhat pragmatic we're actually reasonably good at the r d scale at doing all these things but then there's a big disconnect between r d scale and mass scale and people seem to forget that oh yeah yeah, yeah, we'll go manufacture it we'll put it in the tanks decades of research to get it up those scales and a lot you only hear about the successes obviously car t's are very successful they go in suspension Mm -hmm. um but the other things, you're like, oh, no, it failed. You don't hear about those. Um, I used to work on things like this in GE, so i um, aware of the challenges. But, yeah, these, those are trying to, the approaches we're trying to take.
0: So the idea, and just to kind of paint a picture for the listeners, is that your devices would be – you'd have multiple of these working in parallel yeah. – to, yep. to scale up rather than a much larger mm-hmm. tank that we see in, in yeah. uh, as you said cell therapies that are all grown in suspension definitely yeah
2: so so we, we have other projects we might go down the roots of the, paradoxically go down the route of just more suspension based system but i think there is pathways to economically do this because if uh, you augment the workforce to not have to do a lot of the manual operations. You don't have that cost. Yeah. If you reduce the capex of the single unit, you de-risk the path and then people pour onto this system and then you would scale out via that method and then you make enough mm-hmm. of it anyway. Um, it doesn't work with all cells in all scenarios, of course, um, because people that tell you the device can do everything are usually just wanted to sell you the cellular device. Um, but th- we think this is another viable route to get... Our goal really is to get a lot of these things to market quicker. Um, that's the goal, to help enable, be it cell therapy, cultivated meat, whatever it is, to get it quicker to market and actually help the planet and people.
0: Yeah, I think that's the the noble cause of of science generally, and it's good to see that yeah. the, the technology to scale that like wonderful yeah. R&D is, is, is getting there. Um, guys, I'm going to ask you one last thing. Um, where do you see, where do you hope to see all things being optimistic, uh, unicorn in two years time?
2: Uh, in, so in two years time, I would say, um, uh, more co- customers, uh, more market traction, uh, than we already have, uh, having our device in multiple jurisdictions, um, then on the back of that, obviously, uh, we're looking to raise Series A some point next year, raising Series A, continuing to grow the team. We're actually moving to a new facility soon of our own. So continue down that path. We're, we're in our opinion, but we're biased. We're uh, we say we're ahead of the curve of most other people. We're actually operating, we feel like a Series A company whilst at seat. Uh, we've been very—I'm um, Scottish originally—frugal and careful with how we do. We've built the—we've built the team, and we think a good way. We've made a lot of progress um, relative to other companies where who are significantly older. Um, we have made a lot of progress in the last two years. So, in the next two years, we hope to accelerate that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm going to echo Adam here and say like it's the last two years has been remarkable, like. We have a world class team here. Uh, it's great to have our own spot in Sheffield, but yeah, we are we're at the point now where we're having you know pilot projects with clients of ours, and in over the course of the next six to twelve months, the goal for us is to keep refining our device, refine those projects, bring some more people into working with us, and ultimately, yeah, have our machines launched and then go from the UK to you know, operating in the US full time as well, Europe. Uh, and hey, you know, knock on wood, ambitiously, maybe in two years, Unicorn will be global.
0: I like that. Thinking Thinking big. Um, <laughs> go big or go home, as they say. Uh, gentlemen, yeah. thank you so much for joining me on BioInnovator Spotlight. Cheers, David. Thanks. Are you a Life Science CEO in Europe? Go to LifeScienceOrg.com, where you can connect, share, and engage with a community of your peers. We have a platform just for early stage founders too. You can join there at nextgen.lifescienceorg.com.